You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you need batteries for your truck, batteries for your trail cameras, TV remote controls, flashlights, you name it, Interstate Batteries has what you need. They have thousands of retail locations all over the United States. So stop in, talk to a battery specialist, or for more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. This is a Houndsman XP podcast with your host, Steve Fielder, and me, Chris Powell. If you're ready to up your game to extreme performance, sit back, buckle up, and hang on for another exciting episode of Houndsman XP. Welcome to the Houndsman XP Podcast. I'm your co-host, Steve Fielder, along with Lauren Vranny this morning. How are you, Lauren? Morning, Steve. I'm doing good. Uh, we got our first dusting of snow here in Wisconsin in quite a while. They're predicting a big, big storm, but I don't believe them. Mm. <laughs> well, it's wintertime out there across the Fruited Plain, and... Uh, so I guess there's no snow here in Florida. I can report that safely. Uh, there is no snow. And there's a familiar laugh in the background for our uh, listeners today. Uh, we have uh, uh, our co-host Chris Powell reporting in from the road. I think you're out in Texas, the wide open spaces right now, Chris, on your way to the Freedom uh hunter's hunt that will will be history by the time this podcast airs what's going on chris well you're right i am looking at wide open spaces the only thing obstructing my view is obama's wind towers out here there's about a million of them on the landscape and uh, yeah so i'm about 40 miles east of amarillo right now i started the trip yesterday morning and uh, made it to yukon oklahoma do you know what's significant about Yukon, Oklahoma? I do not. Anybody? No. Nick, you got any idea? I kind of jumped. I have no clue. Yeah. Well, it is the, the the hometown of Garth Brooks. All oh. right. Yep. Yukon, yep. Oklahoma. So. You always have this, the random little tidbits, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> well, say hello to Trish and the family out there for me, will you? Yeah, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, and as you can hear, yeah. And as you guys can hear, we also have Nick Gilliland on the line. He'll be co-hosting with us today. And uh, happy birthday, Nick! Welcome. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. it's an honor to be back on here. I'm uh, Nick Gilliland, of course, in Western North Carolina, and today we're dealing with a lot of rain. It's pouring the rain here. They're actually calling for thunderstorms, which is very strange for. January in North Carolina, but uh, we're clucking along pretty good. Well, you're getting a January thaw, maybe. (laughs) 
Yeah, I tell you, it don't feel like we've had a winter, though. It has been extremely mild for, for a winter this year. Hey, Chris, uh, how about just yep. recapping a little bit about what you're going to be doing out here this week? And, of course, I'm sure, as I said, by the time we air uh, this uh, podcast, the event will be history, and hopefully there's going to be great things to report. But just recap a little bit about uh, what's going on, who's going to be there, and uh, just kind of, you know, give us an overview. Yeah, no problem. That, I'll, I'll tell you what, I am super pumped about this. There's a lot of things coming together on this adventure we're on right now. But this is the first annual Houndsman XP Freedom Hunters Hound Adventure. And uh, we are going to take a veteran and Gold Star family member, Tanner Babb. He is pumped up. I talked to him yesterday, and I'll get into that in a minute. But uh, we are taking him to the Navajo Nation all-expense-paid lion, mountain lion hunt in northeastern Arizona. So uh, ever since I got on the road yesterday, my phone's been blowing up. I've been talking to the major players that are going to be here. Uh, we got Gary Robertson from Carnivore TV is going to be on the reservation helping us out with the hunt. Gary's been a super asset to us. Uh, got a rifle from Ruger, an RMR site, uh, that's going to mount on that rifle for Tanner. He's even got ammo for him when he gets here. Then, of course, you got Calvin Red Hounds Red House. He's going to be hosting us this week, and uh, he's going to be our outfitter on the on the Navajo Nation. And he's been out working hard, getting calls and texts from him about tracks. He's finding lion tracks. He's out there scouting right now. And uh, a, a myriad of different houndsmen. Jared Moss, who you've all heard on the podcast before is coming down from beaver utah and uh, he'll be participating and helping us locate lions and using his western hunting skills to help us be successful out there but the all-star of this whole thing has got to be tanner bab i mean he is just pumped up (laughs) all right he's called me yeah he's called me calvin several times um and we talked last night on the phone, and, and I could tell by the conversation we had, he's, he is wound up. He's, he's ready to come out here and hunt. And this was all made possible through this partnership that we formed with Freedom Hunters. Uh, Anthony Pace, uh, the CEO there of Freedom Hunters, has agreed to work with us to make these types of adventures possible. So... And I'm pumped up. I'll tell you, what, I, I'm just stoked. I've been up on the wheel, thought I had to drive it all last night, drove through terrible weather yesterday. They had tornado watches and everything all across Oklahoma. And when the wind started and it started getting dark, I thought, you know what, I'm going to pull off. I've got a four- or five-day lead time here. So I pulled off and had dinner with Garth Brooks and, and <laughs> last night. Do you uh, have two pina coladas? Absolutely, yep. (laughs) One for each hand. That's right. Well, good for you. Well, it sounds like you're having a great time, and I'm totally in agreement with you uh, about the adrenaline rush of this whole thing. Uh, Yeah, I've been busy. I've been doing some writing and things that always happen at this time uh, of each month for me, but... uh, Man, I and Lauren, thank you for posting um, uh, Carnivore 
TV uh, video, I think, on uh, yeah. uh, on social media. And uh, Ella and I watched that thing this morning, and I t- for me to show her what I'll be doing out there. And uh, as I looked at that uh, uh, diagram of the route that they took up that mountain and around, I'm thinking, whoa. (laughs) That was so cool to see. I was like, okay, you're just showing us this mountain. And then, you know, it shows the track that that the the dogs took and the lions took and all that. And it's cool to be able to – it's hard to explain to people what we're going to be doing and how the hunt works. You got to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I like the part where they were driving through the the snow, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking that's me sitting in the uh, uh, shotgun seat looking for lion tracks. You know, I do that real well. In fact, that was one of my chief jobs on the bear hunt to West Virginia uh, <laughs> earlier. But uh, well, all good stuff, really good stuff. Well, Chris, uh, I know you're. Uh, You've got miles to make and all, and we're going to let you uh, get on with it. Uh, we're looking forward to meeting up with you out there. Um, and uh, is there anything, parting shot, that you need to, to send before uh, Lauren and Nick and I get into the uh, uh, task at hand here, and that's a- answering some questions that we've received uh, from our listeners? I think it's going to be a good show, and uh, due to sound quality and and the high quality we like to have on our show, I think it will be best if I bow out. But this is the houndsman lifestyle right here, getting out there, getting after it to preserve and protect our hound hunting lifestyle. So super pumped about it. We're going to have a lot of good footage uh, to share with our social media crowd on this hunt. And can't wait. It's going to be fun. Uh, absolutely. Well, you keep her between All the right. ditches, partner, and uh, we'll be right. seeing you in a couple days. You bet. Talk to you soon. Bye, Chris. Happy birthday, Nick. Thank you, sir. Have a safe travel. All right. We'll see you. Well, Lauren, I guess Chris is gone off into the uh, sunset, and uh, it's up to you and me, you know, (laughs) to drive this thing for the next hour or so. (laughs) Well, some people don't like my driving, but it it gets me along. (laughs) Well, Nick, I'll echo Chris's remarks. Happy birthday to you, big guy. And uh, and I know that Caitlin probably uh, provided a great celebration for you there in your new home in North Carolina. Uh, just refresh our uh, listeners a little bit. You were on the program earlier, and we got uh, really great reviews on that podcast, and it did real well uh, in terms of downloads. But uh, Just tell us, catch us up a little bit about what's been going on with you. Yeah, well, we've had a real busy year. Like you said, uh, we were on here before. We talked about the YouTube channel that we run, My Life Kennel. And, uh, you know, we've been out there trying to do some more videos. We put out a lot more coon videos this season than I normally am able to get out. Um, Things have been hectic. We got married November 16th, so we had a long time of getting busy preparing for the wedding and then we had a we also bought a new house and had it put in um shortly after that so recently just moved in just a few weeks ago and since then we've just been enjoying married life and at home and to be honest with you it's kind of hard to come home to a nice new house and a new wife and new comfy couch and 
get up and go coon hunt, but I've been trying my <laughs> best to get out there and get after it. So, uh, oh, yeah. You know, it's fun. Oh, absolutely. Well, it was great seeing you guys at the recent Grand American in Orangeburg, and you're kind of kicking back over mm-hmm. there relaxing when I came by. And uh, she's such a lovely person. You're a blessed man, and uh, I'm just really happy for both of you for sure. Thank you. Thank you very you much. You bet. Well, you know, you've been doing these Q&As on your YouTube channel, and they've been very popular. And, uh, yep. uh, you know, and we kind of put um, put the uh, bait out there, so to speak, for our listeners to send in some questions and some things that they would like to have answered. Well, Unfortunately, when we do that, a lot of people think that's an invitation to suggest what they'd like to see on the next program, and I think Lauren would agree with me that we got a lot of that. You know, we'd like to do a program on this or that or something else, and we do appreciate very much that kind of feedback, but the purpose here is not really to talk about future programming, but to answer some some serious questions and uh, it, 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 they're not necessarily from new coon hunters, but they may be. Uh, or, or, yeah, or any people. kind of hunter. Hound, yeah. Hounds people, yeah. But um, we kind of tried to go through some of these and come up with uh, some that we think will be uh, the most interesting to the most of our listeners. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know... Nick, uh, well, I guess, uh, being Southern boys, you and me, we ought to let the ladies go first. Absolutely. uh, (laughs) Lauren, I realize she's one of these uh, modern gals, you know, and uh, she (laughs) she doesn't expect that kind of treatment. But You know, sometimes I do open the door for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, Lauren, what have you been hearing out there? What what's kind of a a, a hot hot topic that uh, is out there that people would like us to to attempt? And I use that word attempt to answer sure. for our listeners. Well, you know, there's a couple things I've been hearing. Um, I think a lot of people, or maybe new people, um, I've heard they just want some content for newbies. Um, maybe just some general information, um, things like that. So hopefully we'll get some questions answered that can help um, newbies out there get along. Um, And as many of our followers know, I haven't been in this game for years and years and years, like the two Southern boys here on the other end. Um, It's been about three years for me. But, you know, I dove in pretty fast and pretty deep, and uh, I think I'm keeping my head above water, but sometimes, you know, there's struggles. So anyway, um, you know, we're talking about our Freedom Hunters hunt, and we're hunting big game, and, you know, while we're not chasing bear, what, in three days we'll be out there, um, the, the question that I've got, one of them, um, actually comes from a guy named Bear, um is it pronounced saragusa i think that's right yeah he was a recent guest on the podcast with chris yeah you know i know my name's hard to pronounce Vranny. sometimes people get that wrong but hopefully i didn't butcher it um 
but that this question is uh, how long should I wait after a young dog has gotten a speck from a bear or a boar? Um, mm-hmm. You know, what if you're hunting wild hog before heading out after those species with that hound again? Uh, obviously, if the dog isn't injured, uh, should you wait a little while? What's um, what's the suggestion there? Now, I know that back in the day you used to hunt bear. Well, and actually recently too. So maybe you have some insight on that, Steve. Well, I think that the point to be made here is with any young dog, uh, a, a pup, and, uh, you know, that one of the questions that we had was, you know, how old should a dog be before we start hunting it, actually taking it out in the woods on the hunt itself. And I think, of course, I think Nick would agree with me, that depends on the individual dog. But as a rule of thumb, we want that dog to be mature enough to keep up with the other dog so it doesn't get behind, and which leads to loose barking and babbling, as we say, and those sort of things. But we also need to remember with these young dogs that they are pups. You know, they, they're, they're kids, uh, if I can use that. Uh, comparison and uh, you know they can be set back fairly severely uh, you know if they get uh, afraid if they're they're intimidated by the game and uh, you know one of the things when I uh, used to train coonhound puppies and this is just a you know people use uh, use cage coons as, as an attractant you know just to show the the pup, uh, a wild animal, and they try to drag the pup up to the cage. And uh, the pup, you know, this is all strange to him, so he doesn't understand any of this stuff. And uh, what's going on here, you know? And now this, there's this animal on the other side of that wire that acts like he wants to eat my lunch, you know? And, well, yeah. And and also, if you've got other dogs in the mix, too, with that um live coon in the in the, the cage that could be scary too because they could be really amped up and and the mm-hmm. puppy not know right so i've always taken a different approach with that i would tie the puppy back and i and we're getting to bear's question here i I'm, i know mm-hmm. i'm going down a rabbit path here but uh, it's good stuff <laughs> but uh and nick i want you to chime in on this too in a minute but at any mm-hmm. rate what i always did was just a, here's a little little uh, short version, Cliff Notes version of how I would start a pup. I'd take that coon in a cage and set it out in a big field or a wide open area, and I would leave it there, okay? I would go and get the pup, and I'd, you know, play with the pup or whatever and let him know I'm in a good mood. And our, uh, some of our uh, uh, podcasts, I think it was with Jared Moss who talked about our attitude means everything to those pups. And so if they know we're having a good day, you know, they're going to feel up and, and ready to go too. If they know that we're in a foul mood, they're going to kind of give us that mm-hmm. sideways look to see what's going on there. But anyway, I would set that cage coon out in an in a open area. I'd turn the per- pup loose and let him go find that coon. And if he encounters that coon... And then, you know, he's probably at first uh, blush, he's going to skirt all around that. You're going to see him cocking his head sideways. You're going to see him giving what we call a few little booger barks 
or wolves at that thing about what is this, you know. About. <laughs> but then what I do is I tie the pup back, and then I would take the rolling cage or the cage, and I would drag it up and down in front of that pup where he can see it but not close to the pup. And then if you have another dog that wants to bark at it, a monkey see, monkey do, that always helps. But at any rate, the point I'm getting to here is take it real easy with these pups. Don't expect them to be King Kong on the first time out. And, you know, take it easy with them. So now if we transition into bear hunting where the game is bigger, the game is more dangerous, uh, the game requires a lot more athleticism, all of these things, you want to make sure that dog is is uh, mature enough to handle that. And 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 as sometimes happens, the pup, you know, he he's had the opportunity. Maybe they've dispatched a bear or two, and he's got to go in there and shake some fur, and he thinks that's all great. But there's a whole different ball game there when that thing's up on all fours and moving. And if he gets too close, he could get hurt or at least get slapped. And that that sets him back some. So my advice to Bear uh, or any other listener would be to let that pup go back into the kennel, go back into a safe place, environment, whatever, rest a while, take a few days off, you know, and then be careful about introducing that pup on, on into a, uh, you know, a uh, 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 a dangerous situation maybe just lead him into the next tree or two encourage him uh, you know those sort of things so uh that's uh that's what what i would do what do you say nick yeah i would agree completely um i've always you know i've had you know you have some dogs sometimes that have some close calls or whatever and you kind of have to know your dog for one thing. Um, I'm, I've never really done the bear hunting thing, but I've got several family members that do, and I've seen the dogs. And, you know, some of these are dual-purpose dogs. I've seen them out coon hunting, too. And, you know, what one trait a real good bear dog tends to have is, or they like for them to have is be pretty greedy. And I feel like sometimes, you know, a dog's confident for their heads if they're not too careful. So just knowing your dog and knowing the personality, if it seems to be a greedy dog and, even though it may have had a close call, you know it's liable to get back in there and get another one. Just kind of hold it back for a few days or, right. you know, maybe even a week like you're saying and just err on the side of caution. I know the same way with the coon hunting world. I've had that happen a few times with young dogs, and um, I always err on the side of caution. I'm very slow to get my dog started. I'll probably have pups start way after anybody else's because I just take my time and I don't force anything. And I feel like if you let the dog develop naturally at their own pace you're probably end up getting a, a lot better dog anyway and if they have a close call kind of let them decide how quick they want to reset it as long as you don't think that they're going to jump in you know head first again like they, they may have done before so yeah erring on the side of caution is never going to go wrong but putting them in too quick could so absolutely yeah, and, and nick you're talking about knowing your dog you know, you're also going to know how that dog moves. Is that a very agile dog? Is that a very smart dog about uh, getting around? Or is it kind mm-hmm. of a little knucklehead and, you know, uh, hard-headed dog that kind of won't think that way and will just right. go in? So 
Okay, all good stuff, guys. Good stuff. All right, let's go, uh, Nick. What's what's on your platter here that uh, your your listeners or viewers are asking about? Yeah, well, we posted on all of our social media for some people to put some questions to submit questions here, and we had a major outpouring of questions. And I do appreciate everybody that that posted one, but due to time limits, we've had to narrow it down to just a, a handful. And I tried to pick some that seem to be very common we get these same questions a lot so maybe we can answer a, a broad range here with these um my first one comes off my instagram and i don't know the guy's name but his instagram handle is at gas blue ticks and he's kind of got a two-part question here um his first one he said he wants to know similarities and differences between garmin sport dog and dog tra- tracking systems and his second part is when he's talking about coon lights a lot of them now have lasers on them, and he's wanting to know, is a laser actually needed, or is it just really cool to have? So, uh, Lauren, what do you think? Um, Both really good questions, and uh, thanks to uh, that follower for submitting them. Um, as far as the difference between the tracking systems, I've seen all of them, and I think all of them are great, um, but it also depends on maybe your style of hunting, your budget, and what other people are using that you hunt with. So for me, I haven't used any of the other systems besides Garmin. I've got a 320, and then I just got an Alpha. Um, and the reason that I that I have those, and the reason I got the 320 to begin with when the Alpha was out is because everybody that I coon hunted with had the 320. So if we were hunting in a group um, or let's say you lose your dog on, on yours somehow, you know your, your dog's tracking number. They can put it in. So everybody can see everybody's dogs. Um, with the Alpha, I've got that uh, for bear hunting. Everybody up there runs Alphas with TT15s. Um, so it's nice to be able to see everybody's dogs and be able to track a pack of dogs when you're on the other side of the mountain or, you know, across a section of forest, uh, trying to figure out which way the dog's going to go. If you need to cut some dogs off on a road and pick them up, um, you all can, can navigate that way. Uh, also I've noticed what's cool about the alpha is you can like track that person if I'm not wrong on that. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of nice. You can, without having to get on the radio, you can see where your buddy is. Um, you're, you know, granted that you've got a, a connection there. Um, yep. So that's what I've got to say about that. Uh, as far as the lights with the lasers, um, I've got a couple different lights. Um, and I recently did get the Fusion from um, Bright Eyes, and it's got a green laser on it. And... What I like or the idea that I kind of thought about behind it is I, I didn't talk to anyone about it. I was like, okay, I bought it, and I've come across a situation where, you know, people are kind of hemming and hawing around the tree when you're in a competition hunt. Mm-hmm. And they're, oh, I don't see the coon. I'm like, no, it's right there, you know, things like that. When you've got different lights on it, sure, it could be hard to see, especially in the summer. If you've got that laser, you can direct people exactly where to beam their eyes and look, and you can point things out. 
Um, so that's where I see a benefit for it. Um, I mean, of course, you can point it out to new hunters, too, that, you know, are still learning how to spot a coon in a tree. So that helps. Um, I'm not sure of any other benefits, but, uh, you know, you still have to be cautious about it. It's a laser. It is a very high-powered laser. You know, (laughs) don't point it towards the sky. Don't point it at people. Don't point it at your dogs. Um, Just be, have, have some common sense about where you're pointing that thing. Right, right. Steve, what do you think? Well, I'll echo what Lauren said about experience-wise. The Garmin has been uh, all that I really know in the terms of uh, GPS-enabled tracking systems. You know, I I was an old beep-beep guy for many years. When Garmin came along, I I had the... uh, I guess it was foresight, but, you know, I contacted Garmin, and we were uh, influential in bringing Garmin into the coon hunting world because I knew that they had a prototype going for bird dogs and uh, the configuration of it with a vest and a little rubber ducky antenna I knew would not work for coon hounds, but we were able to participate in some of the early testing of prototypes and that sort of thing and then bring Garmin in as a sponsor uh, of coonhound events and so i'm i'm a little bit proud of that um that was mm-hmm. uh you know and then lo and behold the, it, it it now on my list the top 10 products or innovations that uh, have helped the sport of hound hunting i have to put the uh, gps uh, on the top of the list but um yeah i for the same reasons uh uh Lauren list there. I bear hunt with party. You know, we keep a list of all the tracking numbers for um, the different dogs. So, you know, we can keep track of all these dogs. And when you're hunting big terrain, mountainous especially, you know, dogs can get separated in all kinds of different ways. You got the front dogs, the back dogs in the race, you know, the dogs that fell out, the dog that young dog that chased a deer over the mountain all these things you can you can keep track of them with that and that's awesome now i will say that i have been kind of uh old school and 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 not keeping up with the times when it comes to the all the map cards and the types of uh things like bird's eye technology and onyx maps and all that uh, you know, I have to plead ignorance on those because I really haven't kept up with those. And, I, you know, while right. I was at the Grand American, I picked up a brochure on the dog tree unit. And I don't know anything about that other than you carry a device in your pocket and you use your cell phone. So I, I think that Nick uh, is probably a great source here, being a vendor and being a, a, a you know, aware of all this to uh, kind of fill us in on the differences and advantages and disadvantages of each because, you know, a tracking system or a locating system is a fairly large investment out of the coon hunting or hound hunting budget. So um, it pays to know, I guess, what, you know, what you're buying. So, Nick, uh, we're going to yield to you and let you explain some of this to us. Yeah, well, you know, having our YouTube channel and all, we try to 
Um, well, I'll go ahead and say this now. First off, I'm personally sponsored by Sport Dog Brand. But as I told Sport Dog, and they agree and they understand, is I'm totally unbiased when it comes to giving reviews. If somebody's got a good product, I'm going to say it's good. You know, and um, being that we have the YouTube channel, we try to do your reviews on everything that we can get our hands on. So guys have as much information as possible. Because, like you said, when it comes to buying stuff like this, you know, I know guys that, you know, they're the only the only income in their household and they might buy a tracking system once every 10 years, you know, and it's a major deal for them to do that. So the more information they have to give them accurate information, the better. So, um, you know, I have field tested them all. I tried them all. I own them all. Um, I use sport dog on every night basis. Um, one of the main reasons why I do that is I really like the maps on them. They seem to be really accurate. Um, I live in the mountains, so I like to use a topo map more than anything because I actually I don't need to know exactly how direct line to get to my dog. I want to know the easiest terrain to get to my dog. Um, so I really like that about sport dog. When it comes to packing, if you're doing any kind of packing sport with bear, um, the deer guys down east, hog guys, whatever, Garmin is definitely the way to go because everybody's running a Garmin. So um, if you're getting into a, a ham hunting sport that you can have a lot of dogs and a lot of people, Garmin seems to be the way to go with that. You're just going to be able to link up with everybody. I'm sure you guys know all about that. Um, if you're new to the sport and you're looking for a little bit more of an affordable way to get into it, Daltra, I've tried it out. Uh, it seems to work great. You do have satellite maps even when you don't have cell service, as long as you download them while you do have cell service. And it's half the price of the others because you don't actually buy a handheld. You're using your, cent- your cell phone as a handheld. Um, when it comes to tracking ability, there's not one of these that really outshines the rest. So if you're, if you're making a decision based solely on tracking ability, um, you won't find a clear winner. But if you got certain things that are priorities to you, um, Garmin's touchscreen. Um, Sport Dog has great customer service. Um, Doctor, like I said, is a cheaper way to get into it and still a great system. So um, just kind of have to know what your priorities are when it goes to going to getting into a tracking system like that. Now, as far as lights with lasers, talking about that, um, I have one of the Bright Eyes Fusions. I've tried the Kelly's. Uh, K-Light, I think it's the Moonbeam revamp. It has a laser. Um, there's several of them out there with lasers now. Just about everybody's got a light with a laser. They're all impressive. Um, is it absolutely needed? I don't think so. Um, I don't competition hunt, but I definitely would see where you would have more of a need for it there if you're trying to talk a judge into the proper tree or the proper spot on the tree. When it comes to filming hunts like I do, it's really handy because I'm able to just point out where the coon is to the audience. Yeah. Or if I've got somebody new with me that say I'm wanting them to shoot the coon out and maybe they just can't spot it or pick it out, I can, you know, show them exactly where. So absolutely needed, probably not, but it's very cool, and I definitely want to have a lot with laser on it for myself. And and I'd like to go back a little bit to the, the tracking systems. Um, I, I guess I've got a question for you. Um, okay. Is it true that you could use, like, an old cell phone that you don't have, like, cell service on anymore, um, but you could, like, download the maps at home on Wi-Fi? So you could, like, use your old smartphone so you, just in case something happened, you're, it's not like you're losing your, you know, cell phone that you use every day. Yeah, absolutely, because, well, actually, when I film my hunts, a lot of times if it's rain or something, I'll use my cell phone because most cell phones are waterproof now. So I actually got on 
Facebook Marketplace. I found a guy locally had like a fifty dollar smartphone. I bought it. You know, has no service to it. Yeah. I hooked it up to Wi-Fi and I downloaded all the maps for all the places that I hunt. And so I'm actually able to use it when I'm running the dog show, and then I can still pull my phone out and film. Plus, it saves the battery life on your phone. Um, yeah. I found if you've got a, yeah, if you got a newer phone, the dog trap doesn't seem to pull down your batteries bad. But if you got a phone that's two or three plus years old, it will pull your battery down. So if, if you're in a situation that you want to keep your battery up, you know, if you're far from home or whatever, and just for whatever reason you want to keep your phone battery intact, having a little cheap, you know, throwaway type phone, used phone is, is good. A lot of people have them laying around. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and as I learned here recently, the uh, iPhone 10 that I upgraded to is not cheap. <laughs> so, yeah, no. <laughs> you're you're ahead of, you're ahead of the times there, Steve. Oh I, I, wow, I, yeah. I'm <laughs> I a high tech redneck for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, that's great, great coverage there on that subject. Uh, you know, I've got a few things here uh, that kind of um, address um, the issue of how to start a pup. And uh, here, here's the one that, that's kind of fun, and it'd be interesting to get the, the responses. And I think as I rem- remember your story, Lauren, uh, when you got uh, your first dog, Maggie, is that right, mm-hmm. Maggie? Yep. And the first thing she did uh, to demonstrate her her um, willingness to be a hunter was tree a squirrel. So one of our uh, uh, listeners asked, uh, is it good to start pups on squirrels? Yes or no? Um, I'll take the lead on that. Um, I know a lot of guys have the philosophy that you know, anything you can do to get the pup to tree is a good thing. Um, you know, my my dad used to set the feed pan up on the, a fence post and have the puppies looking up and barking up when they were six weeks old, seven weeks old. Mm-hmm. And that was just kind of an exercise, I guess, to get them to look up. But I, I'm of the opinion, and I may be wrong, and you guys can have at me, I'm of the opinion that I like to pro, I use the word program a pup for the game that I want him to hunt. If I want a squirrel dog, I'll start him on squirrels. If I want a possum dog, then I'll trap a possum. If I want a coon dog, I want to start that pup on coon. I want all his fun times uh, to be associated with coons. I want his prey drive to be triggered by coons. I want his desire to chase to be uh, after coons. So I I call it programming the dog. Um, It's kind of funny. Years ago, my dad uh, would be away working. And, of course, I looked to get in the woods with the hounds at every opportunity. So when I got big enough, I'd take the dogs out in the daytime and, and tree squirrels with them. Well, lo and behold, Dad, when November would roll around or October, and he'd be bear hunting, and he'd turn the dog loose on a, a cold track. Imagine how he felt when that dog treated a squirrel. <laughs> you know, that's quite a letdown when you're after a big, black, stinky animal, <laughs> and you end yeah. up with a little furry uh, bushy tail. 
So anyway, that's just my opinion, but I know there's a lot of opinions around. And uh, uh, let's let uh, Nick jump in on this one first, Lauren, and and just see what what he thinks about that. Yeah, um, you know, I've always well, my my problem personally is I can sometimes I tend not to be the most patient person, which is very counterproductive when it comes to training pups, as you well know. So the least problems that I have to encounter, the better. And as a handler, a lot of times we end up causing more issues for our dogs than our dogs actually have on their own. You know, you can you can train a dog wrong easier than you can train it right. And I just, you know, I don't need the issue of running any kind of off game. So as far as, um, you know, starting them on anything other than what I want them on, I'm not going to go that route. I know a lot of old-timers used to say and do that. But uh, for me personally, I'm going to stick to what I'm on the tree, and hopefully I've never got to deal with uh, anything else. You know, And if it does come along, at least I know it wasn't something I trained them to run. Well, how does a newcomer, and I, I hesitate to use that, Lauren, because you're about as gung-ho about this coon hunting sport as anyone I know, but you really haven't been at it all that long. What What's your feeling about that? I mean, what uh, does that... Does it make sense what we're saying? Oh, definitely. Um, and I agree. And and Maggie just happened to get up on, on that tree in the dog park and be interested. Um, but after that, and, and when I realized what, you know, she had potential to do, it was all coon all the time. And, you know, <laughs> if she was going to, you know, get after a squirrel in the yard or something, no, that, that wasn't going to happen. Um now, this this conversation good, comes at a good point in time because I've got two pups here. Um, they're about five months old, um, and I've been trying to been trying to trap a coon because yes, I am of the philosophy that I want to start them on coon. I want it to be all coon only coon, um, and all I'm getting around here is barn cats. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. I'm not sure what I'm doing well, wrong. You know, I've got to get some marshmallows. I've got to go to the grocery store. Um, well, my dad ahead. was one of those. I'll jump in here. My dad was one of those guys back in West Virginia. We had very few coon. And uh, I know that, you know, he probably encouraged his pups to run cats uh, just as a starting point. Uh, I never did that, and especially the years I lived in Michigan, and as you live in in Wisconsin and perhaps in North Carolina, Nick, you know, you hunt around farms, and every mm-hmm. farm has got cats. You know, they got barn cats or whatever, and uh, you don't want your dog, you know, chasing cats and treeing on someone's back porch at 3 o'clock in the morning type thing. No. So. I, I wouldn't. I would not advise that at all. But one thing I want to interject here is I think a lot of people that accuse their dogs of slick treeing, they have a situation actually where the dog's treeing a squirrel, and uh, yeah, I, the the horse dog that I have that's now eleven years old, he I've caught him red-handed a time or two, treeing squirrels at night. In fact, it was funny out in Arkansas, and uh, 
uh, we we treed and uh, someone uh, and it, a horse treed all by himself. And there's a big nest up there. Someone said, "Well, I saw an eye in that nest." So we shoot, and a fox squirrel rolls out of that nest. Now that's not to say there couldn't have possibly have been a coon in there, but usually if there's a coon in there, he's going to run the squirrel out. So at any rate, that's my my advice would be. Don't do squirrels. Here at home, we have squirrels everywhere in in Florida. Mm-hmm. And with this cruise pup that I have, um, since he was young, you know, out in the yard, he's very tree-minded. He's sniffing the, the trees where the squirrels have gone up. And, and he's even seen them at times. And I've just, you know, discouraged him immediately, no, uh, you know, and let him know that that's not what I'm after. Yeah, so I, I've set all the barn cats loose because I, I don't want to, you know, be a part of that cat business. Um, and thankfully around the farm uh, here, there's not, I, I haven't seen one squirrel. So that's good news for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I want to, you know, start them on coon and have it be coon. Uh, I've got pelts. You know, I let them sniff around when I bring some home after hunting uh, at night. Um, good stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they they know it. Um, I could tell you too. I do let them. They run loose on the farm. Um, they're not tied up. I let them out. They they can go where they want. Uh, but I do like seeing them follow track, whether it's um, my footprints one day or someone else's footprints. Um, I have seen them follow like a rabbit track, which you know, okay, like all right, they're using their nose. I do like mm-hmm. to see that. Sure. So I'm okay with with that, um, but other. Yeah, ahead. there's no substitute for letting a pup run loose in those early developmental stages, right. from my my view. Yeah, yeah. I, I I like them being able. I could, you know, to see their confidence grow and, you know, they their radius gets bigger and they're exploring different things. They got into the little pond, um, you know, stuff like that. They. <laughs> The other day, they actually ran to the tree line, and there's a uh, carcass that was rotting that I found in the barn when I moved here. God knows how old it is. I don't know. <laughs> it's a coon, and it's disgusting. And I really need to move it and burn it and stuff. But they were over there sniffing around and probably gnawing on it. And I'm like, all right, you know, that's disgusting. You guys need a bath now. But I'm like, all right. But they found the stink. Yeah. As houndsmen, we share very unique needs when we make a decision to relocate, especially when it comes to finding a hound-friendly environment in which to live. REMAX Hall of Fame realtor Evan Harrell is a houndsman himself, and he and his team understand your relocation needs as no one else can. With so many things to consider before you move, Evan can help you find just the right location anywhere in the country whenever you decide to go and will even help with the process of selling your present home. And Steve, Remax Elite Realty is based in Franklin, North Carolina. Evan Harrell specializes in residential sales and especially in helping people like us to relocate to the locations we choose anywhere in the United States. Remax has been the leader in residential transactions since 1999 and rated the number one brand in real estate. Evan has been named top producer four years in a row 
and Chairman's Club recipient in 2018. Contact Evan online at evanherrell.com or give him a call at 828-349-4600. You and your hounds will be glad you did. All right. Well, that's enough on squirrels, I guess. Uh, who's <laughs> up? Whose turn is it? Uh, I guess. <laughs> I think. Who, I'm not sure. I think it's me. I All right. Go yeah. ahead, Lauren. All right. Uh, so we did just talk about Maggie. And uh, if, if you guys haven't listened to my first episode that I was on, it was number 23 when I was at Autumn Oaks. Um, I got Maggie from the pound. And she actually turned out, you know, ending up to be a good hunter. And I think that was just, you know, a blessing in my way and maybe destiny. Uh, but we talk about on the podcast a small percentage of great dogs that are hard to find and must be trained well. Um, our follower, Steve Gall, says, what becomes to of all the other uh, dogs? Um, what do great breeders or good breeders do with the dogs that are well-bred but don't believe will be good hunters? Um, now, Steve got a plot hound from the local shelter. Um, he won't hunt her, but it's a great family dog, and someday he wants to find another like her. Are they out there somewhere? Well, Steve, I can tell you they are. They definitely are. I mean, look at my story with Maggie. Um, Maggie ended up, she's retired now. She lives with my parents on the lake and is just happy as a clam out there and just just a great all-around. I mean, hounds make great family pets. They do. Um, and there, those dogs are out there. Um, I actually have, have one too, that's named Timber that, you know, I'm trying to get her hunting and stuff, but it might not just work out. Um, and she'll end up being a good family pet. So what do you guys think? Um, you know, when maybe a dog won't turn out exactly how you want it to turn out, um, what do you see there? Well, I can jump in here real quick, and, um, you know, I, I'm encouraged by the fact that um, I see more and more hunters, when a dog doesn't re, uh, doesn't work out, they rehome that dog to a pet or to a farm, a pet home or a farm home or whatever. Uh, there's a lot more responsibility being shown, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we know that in any kind of livestock breeding, to achieve excellence, you have to be uh, vigilant about breeding only the best to the best, and and being uh, you know uh, being careful not to introduce um, inferior traits or whatever into your line. And so the old term was you know we call, all right, meaning that. In, in whatever way that dog was eliminated from the breeding program. I don't see that happening much anymore. I see people uh, realizing maybe that uh, to the registry's chagrin, uh, people are not breeding as much as they used to because they feel a responsibility for right. each one of those puppies. And, you know, I raised a litter. Out of Hoss, I bred to a show-bred female that I had owned a sister to her. And I, I the, you know, it went against everything that I know about breeding dogs, but I liked that dog so much, I just thought, well, this might be a good opportunity to see what uh, my guy will produce. 
And the results were less than exciting. I think I had three out of six that have started and have done a pretty good job. Uh, the other three are in those those kind of homes that we've been talking about. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's frustrating when you don't have a dog that turns out, but it's also uh, the onus falls on the breeder to make sure that those puppies that, that have been created by uh, his or her decision uh, get into uh, get to live a long, happy life, whether it's on the couch somewhere, uh, whether it's out, you know, running with the stock on a farm, or it's hopefully doing what it was bred to do, you know. So I don't, I don't see. Um, but now I think Steve's question might be uh, directed maybe a little more to what happens to these good dogs, you know, maybe that. I don't know. Maybe you need to read the question again to me, Lauren. His, I think his big question was, how do I find those, you know, well-bred dogs that just didn't make it as, as okay. a hunter? So he's so, more interested in just a companion dog that comes correct. from hunting stock. Yeah. Correct. Well, there's been various rescues around. Yep. Uh, the country mm-hmm. that have dealt specifically with hunting dogs. And I want to dispel a myth right here. I thought about this before or when you read this question, Lauren. Hunters, by and large, and I know there's always going to be an exception somewhere, do not turn loose or abandon dogs that do not hunt properly. That's something the anti hunting element has used for years. That these hunters, at the end of the hunting season, they just turn the dogs loose in the woods and hope that they can find a scratch out an existence because they're all through with them. Do have any of either of you ever seen that to be the case? Never. No. No. Have you? No, it doesn't Nick? seem to be. Doesn't seem to be a common thing. No. I'm I sure think, it's I happened. Think- I'm sure it possibly has happened, but that, yeah. yeah, they see a dog maybe that that's lost, you yep. know, and yeah. especially in the days before uh, tracking devices, and they think, well, that's a dog that's been abandoned, and they misread uh, as we had Ar- Arlie Reynolds on and talking about how a dog should be properly conditioned. They see these lean dogs and they think they're underfed. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they're starved because their dog is on the couch and weighs three times more than it should. And uh, so anyway, I'll get off my soap on, soapbox on that. But, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I say the rescues are probably the place. And online, it shouldn't yep, be hard to find it. Mm-hmm. Is, is how I found Maggie. What about you, Nick? Yeah, uh, when you're talking about... Um, Rescues. I mean, there's a pile of coonhound rescue things, especially on Facebook. They're always, you know, updating what they have and what's available. And, you know, they all seem to be really good at um, vetting through people, you know. So um, I think they're good organizations. Just get on there and look. You can definitely find stuff. Um, I'm not sure if his intentions might have been to find something there and hunt with it or not. Um, I would generally say if you're looking to go to the, the dog you know, uh, pound or whatever, or rescue and try to get a hound and use it to hunt. 
um, I would say probably maybe keep your expectations a little low and mm-hmm. have a contingency plan. You know, at least know, well, if this dog doesn't work out to hunt, I'm willing to keep it as a pet or, or I know this person who will take it. Because it's not fair to go get a dog, pull them out of that situation, give them some life, and then put them back in that situation. Mm-hmm. So, um, and when it comes to, you know, I think – I seem to be really picky when it comes to the dogs I'm willing to keep at my house. And so I've given away a lot more dogs than I've kept. And I find that, you know, we, I've always been able to find a really good home. I've never had to really search for somewhere. I've had dogs show up here and I keep them for a month and feed them. And then finally somebody says they'll take them, you know, and to, to be able to give a dog away to somebody, sometimes their pets or, you know, I had one one time that she was a slick tree and fool. I mean, I just, I couldn't, I did everything I could to get her right. And my buddy Kim took her for a month and he couldn't get her right. And, you know, it just wasn't a dog I was willing to keep here. And I found a 16 year old boy that lives, you know, a couple counties north of here. All he wants to do is go to a tree, you know, at that point. And I was honest. I said, here's what she is. Here's what she's going to do. If you want to walk to trees, you know, the other night I walked to nine sleeps with her. She'll take you to trees. Oh, wow. You know, I had a thousand dollars invested in this dog. I said, "You can have her." You know, I, that's the key thing is don't charge somebody for something mm-hmm. that the dog is not. And just you know, all someone's going to take care of her. You know, he was tickled to have her. So, my opinion, a lot of times there's really good homes out there for dogs if you'll just be patient, look, and spread the sure. word. Absolutely. You know? Well, I used to tell my buddies, I said, you, you know, when we encounter that type of dog, I said, you're just planning for the future when there are no coons. You know, you can go to any city park, dog park, whatever. You can tree all night, you know. You, you can have a yeah. big old time <laughs> if you don't have to have a raccoon in the tree. Oh, good that, stuff. Okay. What, that's kind uh, of funny, Steve, because I have uh, hunted in city and county parks before. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. With good results probably, too. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I, I it was in the summer. Like, I wasn't going to bring a weapon in or anything. But, yeah, I hunted in Milwaukee, like, along the highway. <laughs> mm. you Not recommended, folks. Not recommended. No, no. no. <laughs> All right, Those Nick. Those were in my younger years. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> As if you're old now. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Nick, what do you got? Well, this one right here, I get this question weekly. So I was really good to see this pop back up. Now, it comes off Instagram again. And this boy, a boy named Hunter Underwood, he's he's really good follow of ours. He comments, he likes stuff. I'm really excited to get this, and I'm excited to hear you guys' thoughts on this. Hunter asks, he wants to know what our thoughts are on kennel flooring, from wood to dirt to concrete or any other option, and what we think is best. Hmm. And go ahead, whoever. Well, I can jump in here real quick, and I'll say that – I don't recommend dirt because of the parasite issue, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and also dogs can dig out of a dirt floor kennel unless you've buried wire or have a concrete uh, bunker or whatever around the kennel to keep them from digging out. Uh, Hookworms especially are uh, contacted by, uh, by the dog are contracted through the feet and through the pads and so forth. So I would not recommend a dirt kennel. And, the, and you can't hose it down, although I understand it's more 
absorbent uh, than a hard surface. Uh, the the only other uh, I've had experience with wood floors and with concrete. Uh, wood is nice, but of course it's not going to last uh, like uh, a harder surface. Uh, I've even kept dogs, especially in a uh, what we would call whelping pen, uh, with a, a wire floor, so that the uh, uh, you know the the droppings in the urine can can just fall through, uh, and and the attempt at doing that is cleanliness and also parasites. So I you know, but. Uh, the easiest way around, I think, is to pour a concrete slab if you have that. Gradu- uh, pour it on a, grad, uh, on a slope. I'm trying to think of the other word. Uh, so that it's easily washed out and so forth and hosed out and, uh, and that sort of thing. And I could talk a long time about that, the different designs and all. But I guess my personal preference would be uh, a concrete uh, surface. Yeah, I, Warren, what do you think? Well, I, I have minimal experience with kennels, um, but in my at my city house, I did build a kennel. Uh, part of it was inside the garage on concrete, and then there was a, a six by twelve outside on dirt. Um, and the dogs, you know, were inside on the concrete, went outside and did their business. Um, I, you know, I I have I only have well now I have four dogs, so it's kind of financially easier for me than people that have a lot of dogs to keep my dogs on all the medicine and all the preventative stuff that they need to be on um, to help prevent parasites and all that. Um, Here at the farm, I've got kennels built in the milk house, which is on concrete. Um, But I prefer if it's going to, I would love to have concrete indoor and outdoor. So I'd like to have an indoor space inside insulated and then on concrete and then a door and have a concrete pad outside um, that the dogs would go out and, and do their business on. That's what I would like. I've also seen um, like pea gravel uh, on top of dirt, like a couple inches of pea gravel, which if I couldn't get a slab outside, which right now I don't, the kennels are just inside and it's just, I'm cleaning them twice a day. It's horrible. Um, I would do that. The thing with pea gravel is it makes it difficult to scoop up the waste. Yeah. Um, mm. But what do you say, yeah. Nick? Well, um, unfortunately, I've had to do all of these. So, um, where I used to live, I had some really nice above-ground um, wooden kennels built, and I loved them. Or well, When I had to move to where I am now, I had to put my dogs basically on the ground. Because we had so much construction going on, where I was going to build my kennels, we didn't know, and I had to keep moving them from place to place. So here recently, I've got a lot of experience with that, and I'm, that's my next thing. We just built a house, so I'm getting ready to build me some kennels. So I put a lot of thought into this. Um, one thing a guy told me years and years ago, and it's kind of always stuck with me, and it's just an opinion. So one thing is you got to go with your budget. Um, do the best you absolutely can for your budget. But a guy told me a long time ago, he said, would you rather stand all day in someone's basement or would you rather stand on their deck? And I thought, well, you know, to me, standing on a deck would be easier on your legs and stuff. Not necessarily saying it is true, but just my general thought process. But 
So I always lean towards a deck, you know, raised dog kennel of some kind. And I like 12 by 12s or something of that nature, um, at least. But like right now, there's ways that you can accommodate even like on the ground if you have to for a while. Um, like you say, the parasites is always an issue. We run a tree service. That's my day job. And so we have wood chips for free all the time. And oh. if you're having a dog outside on the ground, if you'll just put through I don't know if the yellow page is still a thing or just Google tree service in your town. I know with us, we have way more chips than we can ever get rid of. And we will, if it's convenient to our shop or to a job that we have, you know, we've got to run lists. If we're on this side of the county, we've got a couple of people at these address wants a load of chips and we'll give them to them. So call up a tree service. If you have dogs on the ground and say, can you bring me a load of chips when you get a chance? Most time they will, won't charge you a dime. And you know, Currently, I've been putting down a couple layer, inches layer of chips, you know, every couple of weeks. And I'll go in there and I'll scoop it out or whatever. And I keep my dogs with some pretty fresh chips. And it's not as bad as on dirt. Um, concrete is definitely the way to go. It's going to be there for, for absolutely forever. But, um, you know, I'm getting ready to start building some myself. And I like to have, you know, lifted above the ground decking boards. And I generally put them about a half inch apart so some of the waste can go between them. And then at the back, we actually do a run of wire so that way we can wash them out and get the fecal matter and stuff out of the kennel. So um, there's ways to do it right on you know, on any of them, and it's really down to personal preference. And budget. Yeah, and I think yep. if we can maybe generally say that if we're looking from a sanitary standpoint and concern about the health of the dog, uh, internal health I'm talking here probably the concrete or some kind of hard non-porous surface yep. surface if yep. you're thinking more of uh, the joints on the dog the physical aspects of the dog or whatever uh, somewhat more giving it's like these athletes here that play in Tropicana Field in Tampa for the Tampa Bay Rays they play on that turf and they have more injuries than the guys that play on natural turf um, mm-hmm. because of it. It's not as forgiving. You know, it's harder. So I guess those would be the concerns. I think one of the best kennel setups I had was years ago in West Virginia when I had them up on uh, a deck, like a wooden deck type yeah. of situation, uh, as you described. And I had those slats between the the i mean spaces between the slats and all and i really like that setup and i think the dogs liked it they liked the, that feeling of of laying up there on the porch so to speak yeah and i'll i'll tell you another thing too recently um buddy of mine's in the fire department he's in a lot of my videos and he he called me up and said we got all this fire hose that we they basically tested and find out it's not as effective as it used to be and they give it away and so I got a lot of that fire hose, and I made me a little frame, you know, like a three-foot by four-foot, two-by-four frame, and I just kind of lapped that stuff over it and made like a hammock. And for someone who has concrete floors and maybe an older dog, to make a raised little bed where that dog can go lay down mm-hmm. on top of it exactly. and get off the concrete, yeah, that would help out a lot too. Yeah, and that's something that I always used in my kennels was a loaf. I called it a loafing platform. And I would mm-hmm. always do that. I just constructed out of two before. Well, you know, of course, puppies will chew. If you could do it, yeah. uh, weld it up, would be better. Pardon? 
PVC too. A yeah, lot yeah. of them are made mm-hmm. out of, yep. Yeah. Yep. But they do. They like to, to have a place to rest like that. And it's, well, that's all great stuff. Great stuff. Have we covered that one pretty well? Oh, yep. yeah. I've got a, a may, I don't know if it's my turn yet or not. Is it? Yeah. Okay, there's a couple yeah. of questions here that came in uh, concerning the age factor. And one of them was, you know, how old is too old to breed a dog? And the other one was how old is too old to start hunting a dog? Um, yeah. I've got some opinions, but anyone want to jump on that before I before I do? Go ahead, um, Sure. So when when you're talking about breeding dogs, I haven't bred yet um, any of my dogs. Maggie was fixed, um, and Piper just turned two. You know, I've got puppies. So haven't gotten there, but I've kind of had the idea of, all right, I want to make sure that Piper's going to be a good dog, and she's got the qualities I'm looking for before I breed her. I'm not going to breed a dog that's, that's one or two years old. I'm going to wait till she's four or five something like that, if I do decide to breed, because I want to make sure of of how she's going to turn out. Um, At two years old, that dog is maybe still developing on how the confirmation is going to be. I know her feet were very uh, turned out when she was younger, and they're starting to to be more straight now, things like that. Um, So that's kind of my idea on breeding. Um, And as far as... um, uh, oh, and then how how old? Too mm-hmm. old. I've seen very old dogs get bred. Um, it, it depends on, you know, there's 10-year-old dogs out there that are acting like 6-year-old dogs. There's, but they're also, you know, seem like they could be 15. So it depends. I'm sure on the health of the dog, I would consult a vet. That's just me, you know, but a lot of people in the community, you know, have been doing this for years and, and, no, um, but I would think 10 is definitely too old. Um, I, I, I guess I can't, I can't really say. Mm-hmm. You want to go? Start- yeah. You want to tackle that, Nick? Yeah. Um, you know, of course I'm no vet and I would, I would echo what Lauren is saying. It's probably consult a vet, take your dog in that you're thinking about breeding. Maybe just have an exam done see what their thoughts on whether they thought it was viable or it would be a good idea with your particular dog and not just a, a broad question. Um, you know, it seems to me that, that females that have been bred several times, it takes a lot out of a female every time they're bred. And I would say you probably wouldn't stretch out as far on them in age and breeding. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not a vet. When it comes to males, I would think you'd want to get your most breeding done, you know, when they're in their their prime time or just just shot over their prime and you know six seven eight maybe beyond that i think you're kind of pushing it um but like i said i'm not a vet i don't know if if the older they get the the less quality breeding you get out of them or not i don't know i haven't been into it that long what do you think steve well i have several thoughts about this question and a lot of it goes back to experience and you know uh, not all of our listeners out there, I guess, uh, had a career with dogs or talking to dog people. So a lot of this stuff's running around in my head. I can give you some examples. We had a plot female. It was the first registered female that my dad got. Back, this was way back in 19, 
54, if you can imagine that far back, Lauren and, <laughs> and Nick. And uh, before we got this female, she had had a litter of 12 puppies, and she was two years old at the time. Probably a couple of years after my dad got her, he decided to breed her, and he did his homework and found a real nice plot stud dog up in eastern Ohio. I remember, well, uh, here we go down a rabbit path. We took June, who was, that was her name, like the month. We took her up and we left her, and we were notified that she indeed was going to have puppies and we needed to come back and get her, and they had... He had kept her for about a month or so. She was showing quite heavily. And we went out coon hunting, and I'll never forget this because we turned the, the sire and June loose, and they treated a coon. And this was uh, around the, the town of Athens, Ohio, in the eastern part. And it's kind of hilly there. Anyway, this coon had gone up a small oak that was right on a bluff, a rock bluff, and up on top of the bluff was an oak tree up there, and the coon had climbed up the smaller tree from the bottom and then up the bigger tree on top. Well, we went, and the male dog was up on top, treeing, and June being heavier with pups and all, she was down at the very bottom right along the creek bed. The coon was seen up there, so the decision was made to shake the coon out to the dogs or let it run again. I'll never forget this. It, it was so incredible. I, I, it, it amazed me at the time, and it still does. My dad could climb anything with bark on it. He was like a squirrel in a tree. He climbed up the tree. And shook the coon out. I can remember hearing him say, here it comes. The coon bailed all the way out of the upper oak tree, off the cliff, and down into the creek below. When my dad said, here it comes, the, <laughs> the owner of the stud dog just cut the dog loose. And he sailed off that bluff, and I'm telling you, that thing was probably 25 or 30 feet high. Wow. And, a, and a creek bed down below, and those creeks were full of rocks and all. And I just knew that the dog was dead. I, I knew we were going to find a dead dog. Well, when we go down and go down to the creek, the dogs have caught the coon, and they're in the creek. And everybody's good. And I couldn't believe it still to this day that that guy turned his dog loose like that. But that was a hunt with old June. But here we'll get back to the subject. <laughs> the net, out of that litter came 14 puppies. Wow. All right. About two years later, my dad decides to breed her again. And we take her over to Isaiah Kidd, the oldest plot breeder living at that time. Bred to his stud dog, she had, count them, 16 puppies. Wow. So in three litters, she had 12, 14, and 16. Now, time goes on and June gets old, 12 years old. My dad decides to let her live out her life on the farm, and he takes her back to the guy that he originally got her from, and he let her run loose on the farm. She got bred. Oh, no. How many do you think she had this time? Twelve. One Two. puppy. 
One oh. puppy is all she had, <laughs> and it was not <laughs> worth two cents as a coon dog. So yeah. I don't know what the answer is. I would generally sp- think, you know, the, uh, it, there's a, a general consensus that you should breed a female when they're younger, that they have better, stronger puppies. I think this comes out of the German philosophy of breeding dogs to breed them early on, not the first heat, but, you know, two, three years old, I guess. But anyway, that's my thoughts on that. Now, as far as how old is too old, everything else is a story with me. We had a dog named Sam that was 12 years old, and my dad lent him to uh, Everett Weems, the prop breeder in Salem, Illinois, and he bred him, and he produced um, several litters for Everett, and he was 12 years old. So, again, I think you both are right to go to the vet, get your dog checked, find out you know what kind of physical shape he's in, an older dog. You try to breed an old stud dog in hot weather, and he's not in shape and fat and all. You could you know you could stress the dog, and and uh, so my advice on that is. Not do like my dad would do, which we would keep the dogs in the woods all the time. And then he decided, well, hey, I better get some pups out of this dog. And then the bitch was already too early, uh, too old, you know, to breed. So uh, I, I think saying breed them in their prime is probably the best. I guess, you you know, as long as they're very unable to breed, then you can get puppies. But the general consensus is to breed them young. Got it. Mm-hmm. Now, we still have a second part of the question to answer, and uh, that's about how, what's too old to start a dog. Yeah. Yeah. I got and, another uh, quick story, and then I'll shut up. You. There was a dog. <laughs> I can remember this very well. The guy's name was Robert Hardison from Kentucky, an English dog. This is when I was at PKC. This dog had not been out of the pen, out of a kennel, and she was three years old. Never been hunted. He yep. brought her out, put her in the hunts, and she was winning. Every cast she was in for that one summer. I don't know what ultimately happened to her. So that's the example that I can share. Wow, well, yeah. Go ahead, Nick. Well, I, like I said earlier, um, we was talking, and I seem to always start my pups later than everyone else. I mean, there's several factors going into that. I got limited land, limited time. But I feel like a lot of the guys these days are looking for those one-year-old dogs that are just jamming it up, you know, and they can win comp hunts and everything else. I'm a pleasure hunter, so the comp side doesn't matter to me. And I don't know. I tend to – I found many a dog, and like we had one dog, um, Joe, he was a great dog of mine, and one litter he had that we bred off of – there wasn't a single one. I think there were six pups. One of them started before it was a year old started. Most of them did not hardly start till they were almost two years old. And to me, a lot of people, you know, were saying, oh, well, these dogs are never going to make. A lot of those end up making some really, really great dogs. So every dog is going to be a little different. I tend to just err on slowing down, let the dog learn on their own pace. They'll come around when they're supposed to. Just like kids nowadays, you may find a child that can – sit down at a piano and you know they're a prodigy and they take off and other kids have to take lessons forever but they still get it so 
I don't know, as far as too old, it's really going to come down to personal preference. If you think that it's not going to happen and you would rather, if you're not enjoying hunting a dog and then maybe you want to look towards something else. But if you got the time and you got the patience, you know, get on up there two years old, two and a half, three even, you know, yeah. you can still make a dog out of that. I think it depends on the, the breed and the breeding as well on how that dog's mm-hmm. going to start. I mean, I've heard things about how blue ticks start later than walkers and things like that just naturally. Um, so, I mean, that's one thing to keep in mind. But another thing is, you know, if you've got a dog that's older, you know, two, three years old, whatever, if it's got interest and you've got the time, what, like, why not try it out? <laughs> you know, it could be fun. Um, so... I think it depends on the dog. It depends on on your time, how interested you are in, in putting in that effort because it's not just the effort on the dog's part. It's it's a lot on our part too. Yeah, and a quick story here. Recently, you know, I've got a female. She's two years old, and I had another male that was two. Different litters, totally different bloodlines. I just happened to – I shouldn't have took two pups on at once, but I did. Anyway, my female started off really yeah. early. Do what? I said, that's what I'm saying, too, because I've got two of them. <laughs> Sometimes you just jump in there. But my female was starting out really well and early. Well, my male was showing lots of interest, but he had a lot of pup in him when I took him to the woods. And what I found is when you when you enjoy hunting a dog, you tend to not want to hunt another one, regardless of how well they may be doing. Sometimes you just you pick a favor in your mind, and you can't help it. I noticed even though... He was interested. She was doing better. So when I went to load, she was the one I wanted to load. So out of interest for him, best interest for his, for his, you know, himself, I ended up giving him to another guy. I wanted the dog. I wanted to keep him. He's probably going to make a good dog, but I wasn't hunting him as much as I probably should or as attention that he needed. So I let him go on to someone else that would take that time with him. So it comes down to a lot of stuff like that too. Well, yeah, and that's good advice, Nick, because when I see people getting several young dogs, it, you know, I just know that they're, that's not going to have a happy ending for some of those dogs because you cannot right. put the time in. Uh, you know, I have one young dog here, and, uh, you know, that's all the, you know, naturally I want to take him as much as I can. And, um, and, you know, then I'm going to feel guilty if I leave him in the pen and take another young dog, you know, so one mm-hmm. at a time I think is definitely the best, uh, but one little thing I'd throw in there about this is if you p- have that older dog that hasn't been hunted yet, start it just like you would a six month old pup, you know, don't expect to take it out there hunting with older dogs and it be a, a dog. It's going to have mm-hmm. to learn the fundamentals. So, you know, just go back to square one and start teaching that or exposing that pup to all the things that you would, or that dog, and like I say, it may be two or three years old, but expose them to the same regimen that you would with a, a, a puppy, and uh, you'd be surprised if the uh, um, the uh, instincts are there, the breathing's there, and you have the advantage that that dog's already reached physical maturity, so he can uh, mm-hmm. absorb the training uh, on the physical side of things 
um, you know, a lot better than that six or seven month old pup. Good you stuff. Guys, you guys were talking about having, you know, several young dogs and I kind of chuckled in my head because the amount of advice I got um, before I picked these pups up, I was like, oh, what do you think I should do? You know, should I get one or two? And everybody's like, no, <laughs> you don't even need another one. Um, they're just like, just hunt the crap out of Piper, you know, concentrate your time on that. Um, and I'm thinking in the back of my head, like, okay, I could get these two puppies. Like maybe one will be a bear dog. One will be a coon dog. Maybe I'll make it a, make it a coyote dog. Um, and, and that was my thinking. I said, you know, oh, well, you know, I, whatever these people, they don't know what they're talking about, or maybe they do, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm stubborn that way. Very stubborn. Um, but now as time goes along, I'm like, all right, I, I think I'm going to keep one of them, but I wanted to get the other one trained and started and stuff like that. And then, and then rehome it to someone who's going to enjoy that dog because it's, you know, right. still going to hopefully turn out. Yep. Exactly. Well, okay. there's something to be said about having something coming on because we know that when we turn these dogs loose into the night, anything can happen at any time. And if all mm -hmm. of our eggs are in that one dog, you know, that one basket, uh, we could be out of the business pretty quick. So it's kind of like my dad, when he would grow sweet corn, he'd plant the rows two weeks apart so it'd be coming in all, all <laughs> through the summer. It might not be a bad idea to have one waiting in the wings, you know. Yep. All right, that's great. Well, um, I have a one here that I want to address, and maybe we should save it for last. Do, do the either of you have something that that you think that we definitely need? We've been going over an hour, an hour and twenty two minutes. So, uh, well, I know some people do request that we do have them longer because they enjoy, right? Uh, especially driving so much. Um, Nick, you probably have uh, a good one. Yeah, I've got one here that I would like to get into because this is this is an issue, and it's a real big issue around where I live. So I want to get everyone's opinions on this. This is coming on my YouTube channel. Um, Everett Outdoors commented. He said, how and why is coon hunting getting more and more rare in general? So somebody take it away. Well, uh, it's definitely something that I've – I don't know if you'd call experienced, but I never even knew about it. Um, and I think it's because the generations these days are moving less towards being outdoors, um, less towards hunting. You know, the anti-hunting uh, rhetoric is, is out there in full force. Um, and also, you know, the, the generation that did all this coon hunting there, it's a, Unfortunately, you know, they're, they're passing away. So my mentor, Max, is in his 80s, um, and it's all about interest. You know, it, it, the kids these days maybe are more into the screens and the video games and rather than being out and being behind a dog. Now, I don't understand that because I'm completely different than them, but that could be part of it. Um, also, loss of land. Uh, think about yeah. how much... Uh, things are building up cities are getting bigger um even small towns you know there's the apartment units are going up and warehouses and all this stuff so you're losing forest 
and and also public land too it's you know you've got you've got to get permission to hunt maybe people are getting weirder about who's getting on their land um Mm -hmm. so i think that's a big um factor what do you think well okay i'll go first but i'm enjoying the perspective that you young people bring to this sport because i've been around it a long time and and some of the ideas and things that we've you know i began to think about this back in the uh probably in earnest back in the 90s when I was still with UKC and I saw a decline in uh, memberships to clubs and to uh, all across the board, not just in Coonhain clubs, but anything from bowling leagues to the Elks Club, you know, membership became a, 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 a difficult thing to attain or, or for yeah. clubs to, to attain. And uh, I know when I was with the AKC, they continually talked about the clubs and how the members were getting older and how do we bring new blood into the clubs. And this was talking about the confirmation clubs, you know, the dog show clubs. So it's universal in that regard. Uh, And Lauren, I think, touched on most of the, the, the hot buttons there, you know, the declining land, available land to hunt, the, the turning of, you know, the urbanization of the population compared to the days when most kids were raised in the country. All of those mm-hmm. things are definitely factors. And, you know, Florida, I'm told, I don't know if this is an accurate statistic, but I've it's commonly uh, repeated down here that a 1,000 people move into Florida every day. So, you know, all these ranches, the groves, all this thing. I I called, a, I talked to a fellow coon hunter the other day, and I told him, I said, you know, the uh, coon are in the orange groves right now, and this one place that he and I had hunted together. I said, we probably need to go over there and see if, uh, you know, we'll probably do pretty well. And he said, Steve, that, that grove has been uh, completely uh, cut out, and they've planted uh, some kind of row crops in there. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's just um, an ongoing thing with our sport. So I'm sure that contributes to the decline. But I, I think, you know, as, as having by the nature of my job uh, to be a problem solver over the years, I, you know, I, I keep saying, you know, yeah, we know the reasons, okay? We know that all these things that we've been talking about are, are reasons why. But what can we do to change that? What can we do to turn that around? Right. You know, and, and I think things always, I always think of analogies, I guess. But, you know, I'm reading a book right now and uh, talking about uh, the elections and, and so forth and how important it is to go out and get every single vote. Well, you know, why would a, a politician that, you know, is looking at the big picture and wants to be president of the United States end up out in Iowa knocking on some farmer's door to get his vote? It's only one vote out of millions, mm-hmm. but it's one and one more and one more that make those millions. So I think it, it behooves us to, to break it down to that level. Is there a kid in our neighborhood, you know, at, at our church? Does our our mm-hmm. buddies have a, a kid that 
we could ask his dad, say, hey, you know, I know you're probably frustrated with Johnny spending all his time on the couch with that video game. Come on over, bring him over, let's go hunting, you know. Um, let's see, it may not be your, uh, uh, you know, bag of chips or whatever, but, you know, let's let's do something to try to encourage. Yeah, we tried. We covered yeah, a lot yeah. of uh, stuff like that on the episode with Erica and and how we can be better mentors and houndsmen and get people interested and involved. Um, and I think I've actually gotten this comment that there's houndsmen out there, um, might not be coon hunters, but they're hesitant to let a new person in to the ring, which I, I, I don't understand, or, or with a new dog, like young dog. And it just, it saddens me to hear that story from, from this individual that it's very, you know, hard to get in, um, to hunt with them. They, maybe they think that young dog's going to mess their old dogs up. I don't know. But with a Mm -hmm. sport that's dying like this, we need all the camaraderie and, you know, to band together as much as we can and just try. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I mean, one of the biggest issues where I live is land. That's the reason why, you know, it's getting more and more rare in my particular area. I've got some, some cousins that are 17, 18 years old, and I feel sorry for them poor boys because, you know, they, they don't have many places to go like I did when I was their age and, you know, their dad did when he was their age. You know, a lot of times now I have to drive an hour and a half just to go, you know, down to South Carolina to some game land to hunt because there's nowhere to hunt around me. Um, but the biggest issue is like like you're saying is what we're going to do to fix this, and we got to find the time to take new people hunting, and introduce them to the sport. Because at one point we were all new to it. Now I know Steve, you grew up in it, so I'm sure you got introduced very early. Um, you know, but we've all been on a first coon hunter, a first bear hunter, a first rabbit hunter, or whatever it is, and just to find somebody at the church or. or you know, a buddy at work's kid and take them out, or maybe you just take the buddy at work, and then that leads to he liking it and he gets his kid involved or whatever. That's definitely something we got to be more proactive with, and I've, I've tried to, to echo that in the YouTube channel and take kids and talk about it as much as possible. Um, another issue, too, is you're talking about it almost seems like these, like around where I live, some of these bear niches, you got a group of guys, they bear hunt together, and they, they're fine with you going and, and contributing a tag, but they don't want you to bring a dog, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or, or whatever. And that seems to be an issue. And, you know, even some of the local coon clubs here, you know, we got some that are just down the road that back in the 80s and 90s, you couldn't find a place to park within 500 yards of the club when they had a night hunt. And now there's five or six guys that show up to the meeting and that's the only guys that ever show up to the meeting. Yeah. Ever show up for anything. Same here. You know, and, but when you go down there, it's like, well, I'm not, you get, I'm not really welcome here because I wasn't here in the eighties. You know, you kind of get that vibe from them. So people's just got to be more open. And if it, if it means leaving your dog in the box to let this other guy come and bring his, you know, mixed breed, whatever you might think it may be and let him up, so be it. You know, because you got to get them involved or it's going to be dead. Well, I know that we're more or less speaking to the eastern coon hunter or the midwestern coon hunter uh, along these lines, but I think it also speaks 
to the bear hunting parties. Uh, you know, there tends to be more uh, party type bear hunting in the east, eastern mountains, and in uh, the upper Midwest than out west. I think the hunters mm-hmm. out there tend to be more solitary, maybe a very small group that hunt together. The hunting's uh, right. done a little differently. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, we do tend to be uh, form these little exclusive groups. And if you're not in the group, then, then you know, we, uh, we'll, we'll stand around at the country store and talk to you about what your hunt was like. But don't come over into our territory and try to start a bear track. Right. You know, I mean that that kind of thing is prevalent all all through. But you know, even guys my age, um, and I just had a conversation this week with a gentleman here in in uh, Florida that's the president of, of the PKC State Association, Gary Langford, and Gary's working hard to try to get some of these wildlife management areas opened up to night hunting. Down here in Florida, you can still run deer with dogs, and there are training seasons and actually taking seasons. And these management areas, they they don't understand coon hunting. They don't understand the concept of being out there at night. There's this connotation that if you're out there at night, you're up to no good. And so, mm. you know, what we're trying to do, and I've agreed to go and sit on these meetings, and first of all, we're just trying to let them know who we are that we're good people, and we think a gateway into this is to have a youth hunt, put on a youth hunt in these in the wildlife management area. And, you know, the DNR and the biologists and all these people know that they need to bring people into hunting because that's where the hunting licenses come from. That's where their budget, you know, that's what their budget's based upon. So, you know, we're taking that approach down here, and even a guy my age, you know, I'm I'm already past that three score and ten, you know, but I'm still active in the sport. I still love the sport, so I, there's still things that I can do, and uh, you know, so I, I'm, you know, we do what we can. Each of us is given different talents. Some of us can talk. Some of us can go, uh, you know, trim the grass and keep the club looking nice. Whatever it is that we can do. You know, to to encourage and to to uh, you know protect, preserve, and and promote our sport. It's what we mm-hmm. need to be doing. And uh, you know, we preach this and we preach this. Uh, Chris and I have been talking a lot. Uh, we have decided that uh, the word sport is not necessarily an accurate dis- uh, de- depiction of what we have here with hounds. It's a lifestyle. Um, you know, yeah. And our heritage and, and we, we're going to kind of try to catch each other when we refer to it as a sport, we want to refer to it as the hound hunting lifestyle or the hound hunt houndsman lifestyle. Uh, because that's what it is. It's part of our lives. It's, it's part of the fiber of who we are. And, uh, and, and we're all passionate about it. You know, the three of us, we've sat here for an hour and 35 minutes and talked about different aspects of this lifestyle. And so, you know, we're we're passionate about it. We want our listeners to be passionate about it, too. And I and I gather that they are 
just by the fact that they're listening to us. So uh, mm-hmm. there's something that each of us can do, you know, and it just behooves yep. all and, of us and, to try to figure out what that niche is, you know. And, we and, can all do it, and I think we can all try just a little harder too, you know. I agree, yeah. and talking to people about it that you might not normally talk to about it or expose people, you know, to to our lifestyle. Sure, sure. They're going to be like me and be like, hey, that actually sounds pretty cool. Yeah, yep. you know, and, and there's oh, converts out there everywhere. I had, we were going hunting the other night and stopped at a gas station, and the dogs were kind of whining and thumping their tails in the box, you know, and the lady was, was on a, a, a lady that was probably about my age on a, a um, a neat-looking Yamaha motorcycle. In fact, I even asked her what kind that was because it wasn't a nameplate on it. But she said, oh, can I look? Can I look? And I said, yeah, come on over. She said, I love hounds. I love... Turns out that she had been a formal pack beagler, you know, in Pennsylvania and uh, knew all about hounds and various kinds and foxhounds and all this and... So we got to talk to her about coon hunting and what it's all about and what we were going to be up to for the next few hours, you know. And She thought that was just awesome. So we can be ambassadors at the gas station or at the convenience store or in church, at the church fellowship or the bowling league or in the office or wherever it happens to be, uh, you know. There's an old saying among people of faith that, you know, we're the only Bible that some people will read. And that's true, you know, that what they, you know, are we representing our lifestyle to the public in the way that we should? Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. I know that I try to, and I'm not going to do that if I hunt on posted land, I climb and break down farmer's fences, if I throw soda bottles off uh, in the ditch uh, at the turnout, if my dog trees in the backyard, I shine my light through the bedroom windows. You know, we're not going to make any friends or create a, a, an appreciation for what we're doing that way. So, you know, I'm off the stump now. You know, that's an I, old message, but it's it's still a good one. It definitely resonates. Um, and talking about, you know, being the, uh, I don't, uh, words are losing or <laughs> getting lost here but i on at confirmation shows there's a lot of people who really haven't ever seen a blue tick hound Mm -hmm. or the hounds in general so they're like oh what are they used for and i'll get into you know the bear and mountain lion and all that stuff they're like wow i had no idea you know that's really Mm -hmm. cool like just open people's eyes yeah and the good thing we can do about these hounds we have is we say you know you watch the shows and they say this dog was bred to take the fox out of the den for the foxhound, yeah, right. you can tell them these dogs are doing right now what they right. were bred to do. You know, it's right. not something mm-hmm. in history. We're still doing it. They're still working. They still have a purpose, you know. Well, like the show I went to uh, maybe a month ago, I had to kind of explain like, oh, yeah, those scratches, don't worry about them. You know, she just just got into a little rough business or got to ran into a tree or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what yeah, else on, you know, oh, go talking, ahead, Nick. Oh, well, you know, you're talking about, you never, it's surprising. Some of the people you'll find that 
you you think would not be accepting of it, and then when you explain it to them, they are because we work on, work on a lot of gated subdivisions, like golf course places, doing landscaping and tree work and all. And I'll they'll see my nightlife on my truck when I go in to be a job, or I got my nightlife hoodie on or whatever. And they said, "What's well, nightlife?" And I I'm always kind of hesitant at first because I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, I'll probably tell them they'll be anti-hunter and then I'll lose business or whatever. But I'll get into it and I'll tell them a bit. And it's, I've never had a negative response out of that. It's always surprised me and it's always, you know, oh, that's really cool. Tell me more about it. And then for too long, I'm like, well, we got a YouTube channel, you know, and I've actually got several clients that follow us. They have nothing. They have no interest in hunting whatsoever. They do not hunt at all. They don't do nothing, but they follow us and they support us and they're okay with it. You know, because once they, it's like you say, it's how you represent yourself when they, when they can click on and see your videos online or this, that, and the other, or how you talk to them and explain to them what you do. Um, you know, if, if nothing else, maybe if a legislation ever comes up locally and that person's down at city hall or whatever, like, well, I, I met that one guy, he does this and he seemed like a cool guy and he don't seem like he's doing anything wrong. So, eh, you know, I'll kind of stand toward that side. Absolutely, that's, Nick. That cannot be overstated right there. That's the first step is to, you know, get people okay with it. Mm-hmm. Well, what about questions? Uh, have we run the gamut or do we still have some? Um, I'm good. I, I'm good. Are you good, Nick? I'm good. All right. Uh, well, I... Well. <laughs> I think I think it's something for, a, for women another. have more words than men. Have you noticed, uh, Nick? You know they say that women I, I, have I played, more I words. The fifth. <laughs> I or we want, the fifth. want the last word. Go ahead, Lauren. But or we want the last word. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm no expert, and I pretty much know nothing uh, about this. I know uh, Chris knows a lot. And we've covered a little bit, and in, in, um, he covered a little bit on the podcast that he was on for uh, Fairmont Hunting Magazine, but sent, and how that works. Um, and that might be a whole other podcast. Like, um, this uh, guy, Kurt, wants to know, how do they know which way a track is going in the first place? How do they track coons on the water, um, thick leafy versus high grass? Hmm. I'm going to say... I, he, he stumped me there and I have not done my research. Well, by the time this podcast airs, we will have had uh, a session with Heath Hyatt, who is uh-huh. a master trainer of cane, uh, police dogs in Virginia and also a bear hunter. And Heath will address some of these issues. So pa- possibly, that will come out, and I know Chris has also been a canine handler in his work with the in, uh, state of Indiana as a conservation officer. Um, you know, my my experience would be general, uh, you know, good old boy uh, type experiences, uh, you know, and and rather than dig deep into that, I think probably what we should do on that one is, uh, well, well, let me just broadly say this. Backtracking, I saw the uh, an example of this in my recent bear hunt uh, with the hunting with Heath Hyatt and with some other fellows, and they had acquired a dog that simply could not get the track right. And 
you know, the other dogs are burning the track up with progress resulting in a bear in the tree. The other dog is, this individual dog is going the other way. Now, if this happens on a hot track where there's a lot of scent, the dogs come out of the box with a head full of bear scent, even good dogs are apt to take the back track sometimes. That's why it behooves the hunter to check the track, see which way it's going, and start the dogs the right way. You'll save a lot of time and frustration if you do that. Because, again, I've seen good dogs take the back track off of the, you know, off out of the truck. But uh, this backtracking thing can be an inherent thing with that dog, that he just does not have the mental capacity to figure out which way that track's going. I'll give you a real quick little example. Used to hunt with a blue tick female in West Virginia. Her name was Kathy. She belonged to my friend Howard Meadows. Kathy could fall off in one of those deep hollows, strike a cold trail, trail that track up, get it moving, put a tree on it, and have the coon, and look like a million bucks. But if a coon crossed the road 100 yards down there in front of Kathy, and she hit that hot track, she would dig a ditch from one ditch to the other across that road trying to figure out which way that track went. She just could not... uh, you know, comprehend which end was hotter. Well, this is hot. Here I go for 25 uh, feet. No, it's hot the other way. And and so some dogs just don't have the mental capacity to figure that out. I'm told that dogs' noses are like, you know, their scenting powers are like, what, 300 times greater than human beings. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's a figure. But anyway, so that whole world of scent, I think, can only really be learned probably a couple ways. One by experience and the other by, you know, digging into all the research material you can, especially in the uh, realm of uh, law enforcement and also from some of these dry ground lion hunters. They're the ones that Mm -hmm. are really the experts when it comes to dealing with scent because they operate on a very, very small margin of scent compared to what we do out here. Yep. Yeah, I would agree with all that. And one thing I would echo to people is, you know, hounds or dogs in general, their noses don't need to be underestimated. It would, you know, when people wonder how can a dog smell, you know, some of them find cadavers that are underwater, you know, the, search rescue dogs and stuff like that a dog's nose is unbelievable and i don't as far as our science has come with that and i'm not, I'm not a science guy so i can't quote on all that stuff i still don't think we've even really tapped into their full potential mm-hmm. so just just don't underestimate what a dog can do give the dog time let them work things out and you know mental capacity has a lot to do with, like you're talking about too some dogs are just better at it than others i mean you just don't know until you get out there and trial and error and stuff like that and it's amazing to watch a. That's mainly the reason why I think a lot of real houndsmen are into it is to see the dog use its nose and work. Um, it's just amazing to watch and you know just give the dog a little bit of credit. And another thing too is you know we all have good days and bad days. There's days I wake up and I get on the job and I can run that job like nobody's business. And there's days I get out there and I feel like I'm a new guy. You know you just have off days. So if you have a dog that occasionally gets out there and 
messes up or backtracks or whatever, you know, it can happen. Dogs have bad days the same as people do. So give that dog a little slack. If it's not the normal attitude or the normal um, actions that the dog takes, then give him a little slack and say better luck next time, you know. Well, I would say, you know, the first thing I would do if I witnessed a dog taking a, a track the wrong way, I would try to stop that dog from that progress, turn him around, mm-hmm. and and try to encourage him to go the right way, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and again, I'll refer back to the podcast with Heath Hyatt in, in talking about uh, stimulation uh, through our garments or whatever, uh, Tritronics, whatever method we use for training, uh, that, you know, we don't want to overstimulate in any situation. Um, and and your, our, our listeners, I'm sure, have enjoyed that, uh, that podcast immediate, uh, immensely because there's just so much information in there. But, uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, correct the problem, try to show the dog the right way, you know, in the old days, when our dogs would would take a cold trail and back in in the mountains, and and they'd tree, and we'd shine the tree, and we could tell the coon wasn't there. We didn't lose our minds. My dad would just take the dog on the leash, make circles around that tree, widening circles until they could find that track going on, and release them and go. You know help them in other words a yep. little teamwork type thing and a lot of times that will work you know um a dog you know that wants to run a track into a tree and then turn right around and run it backwards well that dog needs to know that that's not acceptable he needs to be stopped if it takes a little correction then do that in moderation and then put him back on the tree at a boy you know and that sort of thing and but you know mm-hmm. sometimes you can't overcome the genetics. Sometimes that dog is just not equipped to handle the job. You know, but uh, he's yeah. like the guy that jumped on his horse and rode off in all directions. You know, <laughs> he he just doesn't know what to do. But uh, moderation what? in all things, right? Definitely. Yep. I think we've covered a lot of topics today. Well, a lot of questions, I should say. Well, we have, and it's been great. And, of course, Nick, you, you've been a great addition to this uh, podcast. And and certainly uh, we're going to make sure that you're on here as often as we we can have you because I uh, really appreciate uh, your insight and what you're doing and enjoy the videos so much. Those of you out there, tell them how they can, uh, can tune in to your videos and, and – and to your uh, uh, nightlife operation there, uh, Nick. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. First off, I want to say it's an honor to be back on here. I really enjoy what you guys do at the Houseman XP. Um, if anybody's looking for any kind of just video content, um, we do run a YouTube channel called Nightlife Kennel. You can go on YouTube on the app or on a computer, and in the search bar, just put Nightlife Kennel, N-I-T-E-L-I-F-E, Kennel, and uh, you should find us. There's a little red button there that says subscribe. If you click on it, you'll be subscribed to us. It's completely free. Don't charge you a dime. And uh, if you're on Facebook or Instagram or anything, you can uh, follow us on there. Give us a like. We put a little bit different content everywhere. YouTube, we try to put some coon hunt videos, some training tips. Anytime there's some new gear, like a new coon line or something comes out, we try to give you a good gear review on it to give you information um, in your purchases. 
and uh you know instagram we do a little bit different stuff there too so uh we do appreciate you guys having us on here very much though it was an honor well it's always good to talk to you nick and to see you at the events and all and i'm sure we'll be bumping into you somewhere along uh i wanted to mention real quickly our friends out at w hunting supply uh w uh supply.com uh you know they've been our title sponsor uh for a long time and we really enjoy our friendship with buddy woodbury and and with jason doobie and with all the gang out at uh, w supply and i'm sure if you are are looking uh for any kind of hound-related needs, those guys will treat you right out there and give you some great service, too, just like uh, Nick does with his customers. So, well, sure. got, and yeah. I, I do want to say uh, about W, it is dusupply.com, and 